Hi, I'm Raymond from Insert Quest here, and today we're talking to Hamish Cameron, creator of the Sprawl RPG. Uh, thank you for joining us, Hamish. Uh, thanks for having me, Raymond. It's great to be here. Uh, wonderful. Uh yeah, well, we've we've kind of been interviewing a few game designers um, over the last few months, and it keeps f uh, falling so that the release date of the interviews is right after we've done like a big batch of uh, our current ongoing series. Uh, so it's almost like we've got kind of an interview series going on at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of definitely not by design, but I, I'm hoping that people are liking it. Um, I thought we might kick off by having you tell us a little bit about your history in the game design industry and what people might know you from. Yeah, sure. Um, well, they probably, uh, if they don't know me from The Sprawl, they probably don't know me because The Sprawl was uh, sort of my entry into the game design world, at least in a public way. Um, I have like a couple of minor um, things that I'd written for people for their Kickstarters. Uh, I wrote a little setting for Dog Eat Dog, which is a fantastic uh, little game about colonialism. Um, uh, but I don't know if my setting for that is publicly available. It might have been a Kickstarter exclusive. Um, and aside from that, I feel like there was something else I've done, but it was so small that I can't remember it. So um, I feel like the earliest stuff that I've done is actually on my website. So if Oh, uh, Game Chef stuff. That's right. I've done a couple of Game Chef entries, uh, one of which somebody randomly contacted me about uh, it's having having played it. So that was that was a kind of cool moment. Um, uh, yeah, other than I, the sprawl. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit familiar with Game Chef, uh, but for our uh, listeners that aren't super aware, would you be able to expand on what Game Chef is? Yeah, so Game Chef is this cool little competition that runs every year. Um, in the summer, um, usually at... The American uh, summer, to be clear. The American summer, yes, the American summer. Uh, usually at an inconvenient time for college students or for graduate students, as I was uh, for when I first discovered it. Um, so uh, it's this competition where the people who are running it pick a theme for all of the games and three ingredients. And then anybody who wants enters it in, enters into the competition. I forget how many words they have. Is it 3,000, maybe 5,000, something like that. You have a restricted word count and you have to make I a I thought game. it was 200 oh. words. No, that's a different that competition. Oh, that's a different competition. Okay, I was thinking. Yeah, that's the, that's the 200 word RPG competition. Um, oh, well, that explains why it's 200 words. Right. Anyway, continue on. <laughs> Yeah, I've never entered that one, but I am looking through some of the entries for it right now for um, other reasons. But um, yeah, so it's a, a it's small, but it's not that small. Uh, and you have a week, uh, which is a week very generously apportioned to account for time zones everywhere. So it's more like 10 days to design a game and submit it. And there are uh, various um, uh, language-specific localizations of it around, and then a, an English language winner and various foreign language winners will be chosen, and then they will uh, be sort of judged together. Um, and one of the things that you do is you, you have seven to ten days to do your thing, and you write your game, and then you review three other games, and there's this kind of peer review process that nominates games to go forward. Um, so it's a really good way of just getting some ingredients, uh, getting sort of put in this uh, very tightly uh, restricted time period and uh, uh, thematic and ingredient-wise stew, seeing what you can come up with and then reading other people's cool ideas of what they came up, came up with. Um, it's good experience for, for game design. 
it reminds me very much of um of uh H-E- hsc english uh writing exam here in uh <laughs> australia where you uh f- there's a creative writing se- section that you get given like two or three hours to do and you have to mm-hmm. there's like eight stimulus sources and you have to use like two or three of them yeah, yeah, and I think this kind of thing happens in a lot of different areas, and it's pretty good. It's the old adage of restraint breeding creativity or restrictions breed creativity. Um, That's very much a big so thing over here at InsertQuest here. We're very much like the 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 exciting part of a sandbox is that the sandbox is, has edges. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, that's the thing that makes Powered by the Apocalypse games and games like that uh, so uh, so cool, I think, is that they do give you a kind of restricted space, uh, but then creativity within that space. Speaking of Powered by so the Apocalypse games, like- The Sprawl, <laughs> your game, is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Well, fancy that. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about The Sprawl, which yeah, so the we sprawl- very much love over here and have been meaning to get around to doing a full campaign of. Nice. Um, yeah, well, The Sprawl is a game of mission-based cyberpunk action. So it aims to uh, produce uh, narratives where you are badass cyberpunk operatives doing missions against uh, the corporations who control the world that you make um, and trying to, I guess, navigate a situation where you are stuck between these these immense forces that really only care about you for what you can do for them and you are totally disposable and they don't care um, and seeing like what you do in that space. So gameplay is is kind of like uh, you would expect from something like Shadowrun or Cyberpunk 2020. Um, it's when I think of narrative inspirations for it, um, the the William Gibson short story Neuro's Hotel, um, and I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know if the movie is. I have seen the movie. Good. It is not right. Yeah, I've heard that, uh, which is why I haven't had a great urge to watch it. <laughs> um, but the short story is this amazing pressure cooker story about these two people who are stuck in a hotel room who have basically fucked over a corporation and now they're on the run and how are they going to get away with it? And it ends up with them getting killed. Uh, and that is one of the, one of the major inspirations for the sprawl. I was um, speaking of getting killed in the sprawl. I was very much confused the first time I was looking at the playbooks uh, and things for the sprawl uh, <laughs> by the acquire agricultural real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, move because so I'm like, why does? Because when I saw that title, my first thought was, why does this game about heisting have a a farming mechanic? <laughs> that seems odd. And then, of course, I realized after reading it that it's about this is what happens when you die. Yeah, um, it's, it's the it's the hidden Agricola mini game. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that's no, what, it's that's actually what more uh, cyberpunk games need Agricola mini games, <laughs> right? Well, if you want that empowered by the apocalypse, you should definitely play Sagas of, Sagas of the Icelanders, which starts with an Agricola mini game, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, I love that. But yeah, uh, Acquire Agricultural Property is a direct nod to that exact joke in the first edition Shadowrun rulebook, mm. um, which is one of like I played Shadowrun a ton when I was uh, in high school. Um, and 
I wanted to do it more, and that's why I made the sprawl essentially. Yeah. Um, it's interesting um, with the sprawl. You mentioned that you've played a lot of Shadowrun. Um, mm-hmm. It very much seems to have a more direct uh, focus for me than a lot of other cyberpunk games, mm-hmm. um, or, or at the very least, a more explicit uh, focus uh, to the cyberpunk games that uh, I've seen. Um, I know that Shadowrun uh, focuses pretty heavily on a similar area, but I get the impression that cyberpunk can be a little bit more wider. Um, was that definitely one of your goals to have that f- have it be a focused game? Yeah, and that's why whenever I describe it, I describe it as a mission-based cyberpunk game um, because I want to put it explicitly there, right there at the start of my description, that this is the kind of thing it is. Uh, you can totally do non-mission-focused stuff with it, but it's not designed for that, um, so it takes a little bit of work. Um, it really is structured around playing out missions um, in the same way that you might, I don't know, string together a bunch of heist movies. Right, where you don't necessarily see the lives of the people in between, but they definitely happen. Uh, but the way that they come up into play is through the mission lens. I mean, the so ocean movies have that, don't they? Like, yep. we mm-hmm. have the implication of their lives continuing on, and they sort of touch on that at the beginning of each one. But they, it's they're not. It's not about their lives. It's about this is the heist we're doing. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And those pasts and those lives outside the story will totally play a part in the story, but they are playing a part in a particular kind of story. So that's what I'm going for with the sprawl. Um, so yeah, that doesn't like not everybody likes that, and that's cool. There are plenty of other games that that explicitly allow for more expensive play, um, uh, both powered by the apocalypse games and not. Um, but yeah, what the sprawl does is that is that really focused thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds uh, it sounds great. Uh, as I mean, we we like the sprawl here. Um, I think uh, <laughs> I think somebody from Ragnarok uh, brought it to our attention. Uh, probably Ryan mm. uh, or Alex uh, from Ragnarok mm-hmm. suggested it to us, and they've also got uh, a series, uh, a actual play. I think a two part uh, one shot over on theirs on right. their side as well. Um, what kind of challenges did you face while you were making um, the sprawl? Uh, both like from a game design uh, angle and also from like a logistical angle. Um, like, were there challenges that you uh, under anticipated? Um, yeah, or or perhaps things that you just were completely blindsided by. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, from a design perspective. I feel like there wasn't really anything that was extremely problematic at any point. Uh, I was, I first thought of the idea while I just picked up a a first edition um, Shadowrun book uh, and I was kind of flicking through it nostalgically and I thought I could do this with Powered by the Apocalypse. That that could be cool. And then I started thinking about it and everything kind of flowed from that. so from that perspective, uh, it was pretty smooth. Um, logistically, like the game kickstarted in 2014 uh, and I didn't get it out until last year. And th- the largest problem is that I am just like one guy and I have, you know, some people that are helping me on it. But ultimately, everything kind of comes funneling back through me. So if my life gets busy, 
like in my day job, then uh, that puts a puts the brakes on uh, things in my side job, as it were. Uh, so that's probably the biggest challenge. Actually, has been juggling all of the various other things that are going on in my life with the necessities of maintaining certain uh, or producing things or designing the game, uh, looking over editing, uh, looking over um, uh, drafts of layout and that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. uh, and did you run into any... Um, <laughs> did you run into any... Uh, that question at all? I can't imagine but uh, it just it was a thought that occurred to me. Did you have lots of Kickstarters of late have been getting <laughs> shit on for seemingly no reason? Yeah, <laughs> Did you have um, any of that? Not, uh, well, not really. Not that I, not that I um, speak of, really. I mean, obviously, people were rightfully impatient because it took me a few years, and I, or a couple of years, I guess. Or maybe it was a... Wait. It was like September 2014, and the PDF came out in February of 2016. So it was a year and a half. Um, so that seems like a pretty short turnaround for a Kickstarter, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not too bad, which is probably why. Like, if it had been another year or so, but also if I did that now, then maybe that would be a, a different issue. But I guess when you are, uh, or at least when I did it back in 2014, which was probably still the early days of Kickstarter for role-playing games, um, you could... It was more acceptable amongst Kickstarter fans to be just a guy making a game whereas nowadays people have more expectations that you will be an entire production company i think in some ways um and also now that i've done that once next time i do something on kickstarter i'm also aware that i have to be i have to do better um so there's various ways that i can set myself up for for, for doing better next time and certainly ne the next couple of kickstarters that i do i will have the rules will be in a far more finished state and the layout and editing and stuff will be in a far more finished state as well. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like you've definitely given all this sort of stuff a lot of thought. Um, have you given the thought of the future of the Sprawl as a product line uh, much thought? I know that you recently had a supplement come out. Yeah, so um, the Kickstarter funded three stretch goals, the first of which... The second of which is the one that just came out, actually. That's uh, the November metric, which is a 150-page um, compilation of settings uh, by a bunch of wonderful, wonderful collaborators uh, from around the world, from America, Canada, France, New Zealand, uh, Korea, um, all of whom contributed little five to 10 page settings that uh, give a cyberpunk spin on some area that, that, of the world that they know well. Um, so it's not meant to be a coherent like world for the sprawl. The sprawl doesn't have a setting. The sprawl setting is whatever you and your friends make up at the table. Uh, but these are sample things that you can throw in or take inspiration from. Uh, you could set your game there, but just because you set your game, say in... Um, in uh, Kira Magran's uh, Tangaroa archaeological, uh, yeah, archaeological islands, doesn't mean that you ex your game exists in the same world as Rachel Schelke's Golden Horseshoe, say, right? Just to pick two of the two of the um, settings, 
Um, so they Which, kind of, I mean, they seemingly have great names. Yeah. And they're all great. I'm, I'm super happy with all of them. And I tried to get people who aren't, don't have, uh, like one of the ways that you can uh, assemble this kind of product is by getting the big name people that, um, will kind of sell the product. But I tried to, to go the other way actually, and get people that didn't have a big profile. There's two or three people in this who have not written for, games before or have and a, a couple of others who haven't written for games in English before. Uh, I think there's only a couple who are more, um, who have a little bit more of a kind of experience profile. And that's exactly what I wanted because I didn't necessarily want it to seem like every other kind of game setting book. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. Like I love setting books, but I wanted there to be a kind of unique flavor to it. You wanted it to have a unique voice, and I definitely think that's a very interesting way to obtain that unique voice is by looking for people outside your, or at least the game's field. I was going to say your field, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and I, I wrote a little, um, I mean, I wrote a setting for it, but I also wrote a little, uh, um, a little intro, which basically says that, that I want multiple voices. And there is a kind of discordant nature to the whole thing, and I, which is an intentional like nod to the kind of uh, what um, what Bruce Sterling calls eyeball kicks of uh, cyberpunk, where you're reading something and all of a sudden there's something weird and you're just like, where did that come from? Um, which is a, is a cool thing of the literary genre, which I, you know, in, in my small way, tried to uh, preserve in this. Um, but that's the first supplement and that came from the second stretch goal. The first stretch goal was a... Uh, book of missions called the mission files that is in editing right now. And that should be up. I hope before the end of this year. Um, but I, that depends again on me as a, as a blocking point and layout and stuff. Um, but yeah, that's in editing. And then the next, then the last supplement that I have planned at this stage is touched, which is a cyber fantasy near future magic setting for, um, the sprawl. And that is still being playtested. And that's the one that everybody asks about. I think, uh, I think we have a question later on in the program about that. <laughs> <Yep>. um, <laughs> I, I, <clears throat> uh, sorry, excuse my throat there. Uh, mm -hmm. It sounds like the mission files and uh, the November metric both would suit themselves really well to trying to run um, one-shots one -shot or pickup games of the sprawl, which I tend to find Powered by the Apocalypse games are not great at doing because you kind of have to break some of their um, inherent purpose. Like part of the reason to play a Powered by the Apocalypse game is that generally you're all creating this setting together mm -hmm. uh, and you don't really have the time to do that when you're making a one shot mm -hmm. or when you're running a one shot. It sounds like uh, these would help with that in that you can have everyone pick one of the settings out of the book and then mm -hmm. choose one of these missions. Do you have any tips for people that are running one shots of the sprawl? Yeah. So you could definitely do that with the November metric and have everybody pick a setting and immediately like sort of read through it and go. And that would be a, that would be a pretty cool way of doing it. Um, and the missions would do much the same for of that on the, uh, on the um, MC side where they could, you know, at relatively short notice, read through one of these, make up a few things in their head and then go. Um, yeah, running one shots, uh, I do it a lot, um, particularly at conventions. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, do I, hmm. People ask this a lot, actually, and I don't really have like a kind of um, standard answer. Um, I mean, that's a fair enough answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I always try and do is really, well, I mean, one thing I would say is that there is a supplement that you can pick up uh, called the Downtown Data Heist which is pay what you want on drive through RPG. And that is what I, that is a two hour scenario that I developed. So uh, that is very susceptible to use in a kind of one shot environment. Even if you're not as experienced at running the sprawl, you should still be able to get that done in, in within like a three to four hour slot. Even if, it, even if you don't necessarily have the um, wherewithal to kind of compress it down to the two hours uh, as I do when I run it. Um, but I, I made that for uh, running two hour slots at Gen Con Games on Demand because there it's mm-hmm. like two hours back to back to back to back. Um, and I I was like, well, I need to run the sprawl. How am I going to do this? And, and what I basically did is drastically shorten the legwork phase so you get straight into the action. Um, so that would be that would be one way to one way to one sort of bit of advice. If you find the legwork phase is uh, getting out of hand and it can. Um, then uh, artificially and drastically shorten it by making hard cuts. Imagine you are the director of Ocean's Eleven and you've got to get to those Seppi's action scenes and you only have two hours on the clock. Uh, so cut and don't dwell on some of the intermediate stuff. That's probably my con running advice generally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds uh, quite useful advice for games uh, in general uh, when mm-hmm. you're working with a short time slot. Um, so, uh, thank you for, for that. Uh, I recently had experience with that myself, um, mm-hmm. when I was asked to run games at GX Australia and I was just like, well, uh, yeah, I've never run a game in under two hours before, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually, I just did a, a stream last night, um, where I was chopping down playbooks even more drastically because there's going to be a small comic convention in my town, mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. Um, and I needed to... I want to be able to run like a five or 10 minute booth demo essentially. Ah, yeah. So I was trying to cut down the, uh, cut down the playbooks really drastically. So there was virtually no kind of lead in time between me handing over a character sheet and then me saying, okay, the dude points his gun at you. What do you do? Um, so yeah, aggressively cutting scenes. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a pretty crazy fun, uh, situation to be in, to be, yeah, freaking 15 minute. Uh, session that could be <laughs> yeah there is some the the there's a there's a podcast called the gauntlet that has a spin-off called plus one forward where they do these little comic strip ap's they call them which mm. are just literally like a five to ten minute snapshot of a game and if you want to know a little bit about a game then that's enough to give you the flavor if it's if it's done right um so yeah. hopefully i can do it right we'll see <laughs> Cool. Um, I thought we might uh, quickly uh, go back to, um, I think you said it was called Touched, was the mm-hmm. third supplement, um, mm-hmm. because we got a question from one of our Patreon supporters uh, when we were letting people know that we were going to be interviewing you, um, and they wanted to know if it was possible to run Shadowrun using the sprawl. So, yes, it totally is. Uh, and... You, you will be able to do it even more easily once the supplement comes out. Um, but yeah, if you want to run Shadowrun with the Sprawl, uh, you don't really need to do very much. You can just 
make everybody if everybody is familiar with the with the Shadowrun world, which is a fantastic world, I love it. Um, you can just say, yeah, and my character is a troll, right? And then the fiction make the fiction do that work for you. Um, it's a little bit trickier with magic, but you could still do that within the fiction um, if you wanted to, or by making a couple of really quick custom moves. Um, the sprawl goes into a, uh, the touch, sorry, goes into a little bit more detail. It will expand out at least three playbooks. There's a mage playbook, a thrall playbook, who is in has uh, had some sort of dark pact with uh, some creature from beyond the the rifts. The rifts are the things that are letting the magic into the world and touched. Um, Interesting, adept kind of uh, kind of uh, like fizzed type. Um, martial artist uh, and then there are all of the kind of like Shadowrun races that you'd expect plus uh, a couple more um, some basic moves uh, that kind of thing um, there's a couple of people who are going to be playtesting it somebody's going to be playtesting it at Gauntlet Con uh, in October and that's an online convention I'm not sure if those games are watchable if they are then that would be a way to get a look at it um, it's also going to be run at Big Bad Con in San Francisco in November I mean, what a better um, place to run touched than at a, <laughs> than at a convention there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that's coming out. Um, people are always asking about it, and I ho- so I hope people are super into it when it, when it comes out. I hope it, it delivers what they expect um, or what they, they want from it. It's not going to be, like, just Shadowrun with the numbers filed off, uh, but it will hopefully give you that same kind of cyber fantasy um, experience that Shadowrun... Definitely interested in the magic stuff more than mm-hmm. the... Um, more than the... Uh, more than the fantasy races. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... Uh, but uh, it's def- it still sounds like it would be interesting. Um, yeah, if I was going to try and run... a, a if I was not me and I was going to try and run uh, the sprawl with magic, I would go looking through some of the other um, Powered by the Apocalypse games, to be mm. honest. I'd look at things like um, Monster of the Week, um, uh, Urban Shadows, maybe. Uh, yeah, Monster uh, of the Week has that basic um, move that is mm-hmm. use magic. Yeah, yeah, and that you could just you could just put that in, and then have some sort of fictional requirement for who gets to to use magic. That, like, it's a pretty simple but pretty robust solution that would allow you at the table to produce like fun, cool, magicy stuff. And if everybody was on the same page with the setting, then it would feel like Shadowrun. I think. Yeah, cool. Um, we had another uh fan well yeah fan question um and this one's a bit uh how to phrase it this one's a bit more high concept than than the previous um what is the importance of story to you yeah i think that story is probably the most important thing uh and if i was going to be super high concept about it. I might just put a full stop there and not talk about it anymore. But um, certainly in the sprawl, uh, just about any time anybody asks me a question, it's kind of like, I, I feel kind of bad. And so I always apologize it, apologize for it. But when somebody asks me a question on the Google plus forums or something about, Oh, how does this work? My answer is always like, this might seem like a cop out, but what, but follow the fiction. 
Um, because the fiction or the story is the thing that ultimately governs the entire narrative in a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Um, in, a, in a lot of games, really. Um, fictional positioning is such an important thing in the sprawl. Like, if you look at, say, the vehicle rules, there's, no, there's lots of things that you might expect to find in vehicle rules, quote-unquote, in a role-playing game that the sprawl doesn't give you because the sprawl expects that you are a human being who knows how vehicles work and you've seen some movies where vehicles do cool stuff. All right, so that fictional stuff is the stuff that you should be working with a lot. Um, and one of the things that Powered by the Apocalypse games do sort of explicitly is have moves that take you from the fiction, hopefully smoothly into a, some sort of mechanic and then smoothly out again back into the fiction. Um, so that flow of the fiction the flow of the story is like critical uh if you if you're having a problem at your table with a powered by the apocalypse game or with the sprawl in particular uh usually the way you can solve it is by stopping and re-describing exactly what is going on because that's usually the disconnect that somebody is not quite clear on what the fiction is what the story is and that once that's explained in more detail then it becomes clear what is happening or what they want to do or what their natural response is, um, all that sort of thing. So I don't know if that was actually as high concept an answer. It might've been a little bit nitty gritty, but, uh, that's, that's, uh, how I, that's how I respond to that question anyway. Look, I think it was a fantastic response. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, what kind of plans you have for the future in regards to game design? Are you pretty focused on the sprawl right now, or do you have any plans for other games? Uh, uh, yeah, what do you envision uh, in your future as a game designer? Yeah, so I have... Uh, I'm Right now, I'm pretty focused on not letting other things get in the way of getting these last stretch goals out. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, uh, as soon as probably as soon as the mission files is done. Um, I have a game called Dinosaur Princesses, which I'll be kickstarting. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Did you say Dinosaur Princesses? I did say Dinosaur Princesses. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is possibly the most grabby name in gaming uh, because that's about the reaction anytime anybody hears it. Now, Dinosaur Princesses is a game that I'm writing, writing for uh, some friends of mine or rather for their children. Um, so mm -hmm. it's an explicitly all-ages uh, game where you play dinosaurs who are princesses and you have to cooperate with your friends to save the kingdom. That's uh, even better than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's very I simple. thought it was going to be princesses riding dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs that are actually princesses? You can yes. you can play it as uh, princesses riding dinosaurs if you want, but yeah, that's uh, it's, it's dinosaurs who are princesses. Um, yes. And so I have most, I have all the art done for that already. Um, and I have the rules mostly in a shape I'm happy with. Um, I'm still waiting for a few playtesters to get back to me. Um, I mostly have to write example text and then get a sort of proof layout done, and then that will be kind of ready to go. Um, oh boy, I want to so do a campaign of this with my <laughs> magical girls group. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would be keen to see that. There's not really any advancement rules. It's not designed for campaign play, but you could totally I mean, it. magical fury doesn't have... <laughs> rules either you don't need advancement rules to have a fun set of continuous adventures that's for sure um but yeah it's worked for um uh, it's worked for a variety of audiences from the last game i ran of it turned super dark and was definitely not 
child friendly, but mm. um, as a kids game, like it totally works. And I've had other people run it for kids, and I've run it for some kids, and it works great. Um, so I'm super happy about that. And as soon as yeah, as soon as the next one is done, then that will be out on the line. And then I have another one which I'm playtesting called Kratophagia, which is uh, a little bit more obscure i guess and difficult to spell it's uh it sounds difficult to spell as a person that is not good at spelling things it's uh it's a it's a it's a made-up ancient greek word that means eaters of power um and it is it is essentially Mm. a game about creepy little creatures in a post-apocalyptic science fantasy world trying to survive in their blasted hellscape by eating each other Huh, not so what I expected a game of, to be. That, <laughs> a game yeah. of uh, cannibalism and body horror. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, body horror could use a little bit more representation in RPGs, I suppose. <laughs> Jeez. Wow, so, yeah, that's, that's a real a, tonal whiplash. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, and then after that, I have some other ideas for things, but I'm not allowed to think about those, let alone talk about them. No, that's fair. I, I understand the restricting the thinking of ideas. Yeah, yeah. I have, I'm accumulating a pretty significant pile of reading material for my as-yet-unnamed publicly fourth project. So, yeah, I have lots of other things going forward. Um, and if I have ideas for other things related to the sprawl, then I will do those as well. Um, yeah. But at the moment, yeah, that's where my that's sort of my forward planning. It's interesting that you mentioned how, that you have gathered a bunch of reading material for your fourth idea because something we've talked before about on our podcast both in our uh old um discussion series crusading couch and uh and a few interviews as well as um some of our quest markers stuff is the idea of um i think in the pilot for quest markers i called it consume to create Mm -hmm. the idea that in order to create something you need to consume similar things or uh, or, or things uh, that are related to that thing uh, directly. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see your thoughts on that. Do you, how much do you view... I very much have to convince myself constantly that in order to create good shit, good product, good uh, interesting narrative, I have to dedicate time to watching and or playing and or reading about um, things related to that topic. So, like, sometimes Mm -hmm. watching a TV show is actually work. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree with that um, for the most part. Certainly, I mean, one of the things that I say in the sprawl um, is that your main source of prep as an MC should probably be thinking about cyberpunk things, whether it is like watching a cyberpunk movie, reading a cyberpunk book, um, reading a cyberpunk graphic novel or comic, uh, and then thinking about them and remixing that stuff in your head. Um, but I am pretty big on that and in my forward project, um, big on genre emulation, emulation. So thinking about, okay, I've got to consume a lot of this genre of whatever it is so that I can understand how it works and then I can put it as rules into the page. Um, mm. I don't know if that necessarily is a requirement because for example, with Kratophagia, I don't really have any inspirational material. It's just 
stuff that I'm coming up with, uh, thinking about kind of creepy science fantasy. Um, and I, I would struggle to name some sort of media that I've consumed on that frontier. I mean, maybe HP Lovecraft a little bit, but mm. yeah. Uh, but for those, for that projection for dinosaur princesses, it's more based on, I'm not consuming things to create those, but for my other two, I definitely am. Yeah. And so, uh, and, I, and I've done that for campaigns as well. I ran a campaign of Eberron back when I was in New Zealand that I really drew heavily on noir and hardboiled literature and noir movies and some pulp, but mostly um, noir stuff to really give that kind of urban tone to just immerse <laughs> myself in it so that I could at the table just, as Vincent says, buff forth uh, whatever the appropriate tone of the of the um, of the game is. Vincent Baker, yeah, yeah, Vincent Baker, yeah, the designer of Apocalypse World for those listening. Uh, and Eberron's a D and D campaign, yeah, D and D setting, yeah, yeah, D&D. yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I, yeah, I like what I like what you. I'm picking up what you're putting down as my <laughs> old history teacher. Awesome. Yeah, I think we I think we agree on that. That's uh, that's good good times. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, so if people want to find out more from you, where can they find you uh, online? So um, for uh, my my main Twitter for um, the sprawl is at the sprawl underscore RPG, um, but I, my main Twitter, my personal Twitter, which I also talk about a lot of game design stuff, is at Peregrine Kiwi. Um, you can look at my patchily updated website slash blog, www.ardens.org. Uh, you can look for the Sprawl RPG on Facebook. There's a Sprawl community on Google+. That's probably the most active community of Sprawl peoples in one correlated place. Um, usually if you ask a question there, then somebody will answer it before I see it, uh, which is a good place to be. Um, and I've done a few streams at twitch.com slash peregrine kiwi uh, and then uploaded them to my YouTube page, which is Arden's Luteray, which is the um, my kind of game imprint. So in amongst all of that, <laughs> you can find me. Uh, I'm wonderful. probably most active on Twitter. Indeed. Uh, we are also uh, most active on Twitter. <laughs> um, thank you uh, for coming on uh, and having a chat with us uh, today. Um, and, and giving us the time. Um, it was wonderful talking to you about RPGs and your future projects and also uh, some uh, more uh, esoteric topics. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to, great to have this conversation, finally, after I finally managed to... Yeah, after, after some <laughs> furious emailing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Uh, and, and as always, guys, you can find us on... Uh, on uh, WordPress uh, over there uh, is the main Insert Quest here page. We're active on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and you can find us on G+. Uh, and you can, all, of course, listen to this podcast on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Uh, and if you feel like supporting us, uh, you can share this podcast. Or if you have the spare cash, please check out our Patreon, uh, where you can have a look at quest markers, get access to early episodes, uh, and also have opportunities to play games with us and see our planning sessions. Uh, Otherwise, uh, farewell from the past. I'm Raymond.